one word. Controversy. She'd tinkered around the edges of scandal prior to this one, but with like a prayer, Madonna detonated a cultural and religious assault, the likes of which had never been seen by a pop artist before. It turns out True Blue was just an entree. Dancing in front of burning crucifixes, a resurrected black saint that many confused for a black Jesus at the time. Condemnation from Pope John Paul II. You've been a very bad girl. He called on Italians to boycott Madonna. The video for the lead single unaired in some territories around the world. And big brands such as Pepsi rapidly distancing themselves from the star. A massive Pepsi advertising campaign launched during the Cosby show, of all things, was dropped before most people even got to see it. Like a Prayer, the album is possibly the peak of Madonna's career. In that, it says everything about the art that she wants to create and how she wants to promote it. Madonna is a button pusher. And during this incredible era, she triggered a global storm and she could not have been happier. (laughs) So Megs, listen, I am not kidding. Every single person around this time had an opinion about Madonna. It doesn't matter if they followed pop culture or not. Everyone wanted to weigh in on everything, either voicing their disgust or their admiration or even just how beautiful she looked, because yet again, mm. it was another bold new image. She looked very different. As someone who didn't see it at the time, you've only seen it sort of recently. Mm. What do you make of the video? Well, like Madonna, I'm very liberal and free-spirited. And so, like, I just don't see anything wrong with playing around with religious ideas, if that makes sense, which mm. is something she loves to do. And I think this is the first time she did it really explicitly in this way. And yeah, I just really appreciate it. The stigmata, the crucifixes, the black saint. I think she's almost trying to say uh, race has nothing to do with morality or something like that as well. Um, There's a lot of deep messages there. A lot of deep messages, yeah. Yeah, and I just think it's really, and I don't even think it's irreverent. I think it's actually like showing the deepest respect for the religious ideas because she's actually willing to contend with them. Now that's controversial in itself. So you think actually on the flip side, she was actually showing reverence. And and what's fascinating is you've come through the Catholic school system. Yeah, but yeah, I just, I think, I think it's really cool how she pushes the frontiers and is willing to experiment with ideas that uh, for some are just beyond disputes and beyond alteration, which she just doesn't have that view, even though she has respect for them. Did you know that Prince plays the solo guitar riff that kicks off this album? Um, no. Yeah, there you go. There's lots of useless trivia just like that coming up on this podcast. <laughs> Probably the most of which is going to be, uh, you know, dished out by our friends who are also on the line. Rocco, David and Simon are joining us for this retro review on Time to Talk. G'day, Rocco, David and Simon. Hi, Tim. How's it going? Great to have all our friends on the line. It's very late for them. They're tired and weary. We're bright and sprightly because we've just woken up here in Australia. This was an explosive era, wasn't it, Rocco? Yeah, it was. I don't know if anybody really expected it because throughout the 80s into the early 90s, with each thing she put out, she kept going further and further and further. And I think before this, when she was doing True Blue, she was provocative and she did get discussion going with the uh, Papa Don't Preach um, song. But I think that with this, it was much further than what she had where she had gone before and suddenly she became like a political figure almost you know she went from being this pop superstar to suddenly she was a pop superstar who had a lot to say david were you around at the time oh yes (laughs) this was the first uh madonna album i bought on compact disc in march of 1989 i was uh wasn't it fun yeah, it came in the, the the rectangular cardboard box, which was crazy. Um, but no, it was it was a magical time. I remember before Like a Prayer, the video, the album was the actual Pepsi commercial, which really was directed, produced, black and white, phenomenal presentation of a new era of Madonna. And I, I remember watching it and it was it was on um, 
during the Cosby show <laughs> and seeing yeah. it, seeing it and being, and just like, wow, look at her, you know, cause it just, it, it, it entranced me. So when I truly became a fan of Madonna was the like a prayer era. I went through the Catholic system too. At the time, Megs were nuns, were the teachers, if you can yeah, believe it. Yeah. So I, I try to imagine them, and they've dedicated a life to this. They're, they're devout, right? And mm. I try to look at this sort of thing through their eyes, and it would be disgusting, and it, and it would be shocking. I have to say, Simon, I off. off I often feel sorry for Madonna's father in all of this. I mean, he's a devout Catholic man. He's, um, you know, he's connected to community, unlike Madonna, who's very individualistic, and I still think probably isn't particularly connected to community or Not the, the one maybe maybe the one she's created. Mm. But can you imagine Madonna's father uh, that first time walking into church after this has come out? He would have had one of those little nervous laughs going on, like where the <laughs> Simpsons they pull on their collar a bit. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of always feel a little bit sorry for him in a way, um, especially around this period in Blonde Ambition and kind of, the, you know, that whole thing. You always see him kind of really showing a lot of love f for his daughter, but really not understanding what she's doing at any point. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think it must be so difficult. Like, yeah. You're not getting racy on me, are you? Yeah, Dale, I'm say? not getting racy. I've been racy. Yeah. That's um, right. Sticks a finger right down her ear canal at that point, I think. Just <laughs> um, this performance? No. Um, yeah, I can, sorry, I could quote that. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I come from a Catholic background as well. I don't remember there being a huge amount of controversy over here, sort of Catholicism-wise, really? with like a prayer, though massively but I mean, wouldn't that be because your your country is not predominantly catholic is it i'll be mean, no but i mean i was in a catholic community and i was an altar boy and like you know i was yeah. sort of like so i just i don't remember i mean i was only eight but when this came out everyone did in my family have an opinion yeah. oh she's disgusting she's vulgar oh, what a mm. show off what an attention-seeking old uh, thing yeah i can imagine um, all those all of this sort of stuff was coming out and and fair enough because there was an element of truth in every one of those pieces yeah. of commentary she was doing it for attention and the evidence of it is how hard she laughs and how widely she smiles whenever she's interviewed around this era she is absolutely delighted she it's <laughs> all her dreams come true she sits there and what was it with the the pepsi commercials pulled and and she still gets to keep the five million dollar check yeah lucky me <laughs> like yeah. she's just so delighted she finds the whole thing delicious yes. which is probably why i love her so much yes. how can you Awesome. Set and ignite this around the world mm. in so many people and still be so delighted about it. Yeah. Does anyone here understand if there is a connection between Like a Prayer, the name of this album and the song, of course, and Like a Virgin? It just is it coincidence alone that she has an album called Like a Virgin and then Like a Prayer, or did she deliberately want to make some sort of comparison of progression or evolution? Does anyone know anything about that? I don't remember her saying anything about that. I think it may have just been a coincidence. She does yeah. She does find phrases and words, and she likes to tinker with them and massage them and just change them a little bit. So, yeah, I was often thinking, like a, like a virgin and then like a prayer. Fascinating. Yeah, and, and when you even think about the two words on the end, like a virgin and then like a prayer, yeah, religion, yeah. I just thought it can't be coincident, and surely. And both had, obviously, the religious connotations because like a virgin with the um, Virgin Mary whole thing. So, yep. yeah, yep. You, you, you could be right. She probably, that might have been a deliberate choice. I just sort of got the feeling, Rocker, did she did she write this song, Like a Prayer? Did she contribute? I know I know the man who wrote the, the music, but did she write the lyrics to this? Yeah, um, she wrote it with Patrick Leonard, and uh, there's actually a lyric sheet floating around the internet. I don't know if it was part of an auction that was supposed to happen at some point, but there is a lyric sheet with her handwriting where she wrote the lyrics. So, yeah, and there's actually a story that um, the director of the video, Mary Lambert, told about when she was driving in the car with Madonna, um, listening to the song for the first time. She said that she felt like it was about comparing religious ecstasy to sexual ecstasy. Um, and there is a double entendre in the lyrics, in the chorus, referring to uh, oral sex when she says, it's like a little prayer. I'm down on my knees. I'm going to take you there. 
I'm really fascinated to talk to you all about your interpretation of this. The only thing I hate about this song is the fact that I've heard it so many times mm. because I absolutely love it. I think this song is just so tremendously sophisticated on a musical level. And yeah. then obviously you wrap the Madonna rapping around it with all the controversy and it's just it's mm. delightful. But I, I just hate the fact that I've heard it so much. But what does come to mind, Megs, is you and I in the arena for the Rebel Heart Tour. This, yeah. this brought the house down. Yeah. She really did a beautiful version of this and she got this is where the audience became totally invested and totally involved and totally part of the show. Yes. And she was just on fire. I mean, she just every time she just proves why she's such a star when she does stuff like this. She had the arena and we sang like a prayer over and over and over yeah. for like eight to twelve minutes or something like that. Yes. She had us as a church Yes, we were the church religious choir. experience. Yeah, and everybody knows that this is Madonna's iconic work. Like when I was listening to it in the car on the radio with my aunt, she was singing along with it. Uh, Sally, this is Sally. The president of the Boz Skaggs fan club. Yes, basically, yeah. Like it, the, the point <laughs> being, it's very universal. <laughs> so, Oh, my God, it clearly is. Yeah. You've got me on board there. I don't know what to say about that. So <laughs> I was a teen when this came out. So I, I was going through a lot of stuff in my head. Uh, uh, you know, I, I never was a rebel when it came. I was raised Christian, Lutheran, actually. Um, oh. So I never felt like, to, uh, I never really had to rebel against religion, but all the sexual Im imagery, I was like a horny kid. So it's like, oh, what is she doing? And like, look at this. And she's making out with the black Jesus and, and, so it was all, you know, to try to get into a 15-year-old's brain, you know, watching this incredible video of all this imagery, <laughs> it's, it's a lot to, to soak in. But it's what really, really got me into her. I'm like, this woman is, uh, she's, I don't know, it's just like, I can't explain why I was so immersed by Madonna and this song. But And seeing her dance in front of those crosses and pushing her boobs together, I mean... It was kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I, I, I've never actually heard this from other people. How much uh, sexuality is being interpreted from this song? I, oh, I've yeah. never got that. Not in an instant until Rocco said about those lyrics. Which, yeah. by the way, that's got to be in the eye of the beholder. I'm sure that no, they, surely they weren't written like that. And the fact that David is getting off on this, I don't <laughs> understand. It. But that, do you really think Madonna heard those lyrics and didn't know what the possible, what people would interpret them Look, sexually? I, look, maybe, okay, I wouldn't put it past Madonna, and in fact I'm probably wrong if I think about it. However, she's fascinated by the Catholicism and the ritual of Catholicism. Yeah. And getting down on your knees, I have to admit, I was too. I don't know how much you went to church as part of your Catholic, but for me it was like a second, every second day of a church was right there. And getting down on your knees and doing all of the gestures, I never understood it, I couldn't understand it, and that's why I really relate to Madonna on this subject. Like, she was more interested in the theatre of it and, and, and the costume of it and, mm, uh, yeah, yeah, the theatrics. And there was also something sinister, frightening, but also exhilarating well, about the whole and thing then as well. Yeah, and then beautiful when they're all on the same level just dancing together. Maybe that's the message. Not like. to mention I was an altar boy too, Simon, and not that I'm putting myself on the same level as some people's experiences in the Catholic Church. <laughs> I'm also not condemning the Catholic Church. But, yeah, I had my own horrible moment as an altar boy with a, with a – it wasn't a priest, but one of the older men in the thing trying to, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. look, it was not uncommon. So, I don't know. I, I guess this song means a lot. What was that? Sorry. <laughs> so this is taking a turn. I know. Well, this is, see, what, what did Madonna say about this? Art is, is meant to be controversial. It's meant to be provocative. Mm. And she, she does. These are all the things that come up in my head yeah. when I think of this because, like, I saw the Pope at the time condemning this and I thought, I honestly, even as a young person, I thought the hypocrisy, what I saw in the church myself as a boy, and then he's there condemning Madonna for this, which is nothing compared to what was going on in the little church next door to my school. Yeah. Give me a break. Yeah. So yeah. I was able to see the hypocrisy because of my firsthand experiences. And now as an adult, I especially see the hypocrisy yeah. of him condemning anything when under his own nose the systematic abuse that was happening and that mm. they were aware of and turning a blind eye to really 
Madonna's point is totally valid here. And it's also it, a totally different worldview to ours, Dad. Like that, a lot of people they they want the borders between ideas to remain fixed and solid, and mm. you don't you don't play around and mix them together, and mm. you know, like a kid in a in a sandbox, like. But we we have that sort of mind where we're fine with that. We're actually we're actually totally fine with the ideas just being mushed around and meshed together, and that's that's just how we are. And so you have to understand the conservative versus liberal divide as well. I do, but I also see the the politics of this. It yeah. was way too easy for the Pope to yeah. categorize Madonna as blasphemous and perverted, mm. then yeah. actually address the issues that she was trying to discuss through this art. Yes, way too easy. Light too, yeah. yeah, yeah. She was a threat. Let's let's not mince words about it. She was a threat, and they didn't want any more attention to be drawn to the issues that she was trying to highlight. Because she was normalising discussion about the Catholic Church. Well, and not to mention, we haven't mentioned even the, the core of the video yet, which is um, it was about injustice. Yeah. So who wants to take us through, you know, the storyline of this video, clip, which was at the time quite radical and um, revolutionary? Well, what happened is that <clears throat> the video basically starts off with Madonna's kind of running away from something, and you don't really know at first what it was, and you see these kind of flashbacks, and again, you're not totally sure what it was that happened, but she goes into this church to kind of seemingly to find refuge, and um, somewhere during the song, she you see what what happened prior to her getting to the church, which is that she was a she witnessed um, a crime. These three guys, pretty much, I, I, I'm assuming they murdered this woman, and this black guy who was standing there, kind of watching this whole thing, came ran up to her, you know, right after they left to try and help her, and as soon as that happens, the police come up and they arrest him and wrongfully imprison him for a crime that he didn't commit. And the burning crosses are uh, what the KKK used to, they used to burn crosses on black people's lawns. That was what they did. And it was, it's a symbol of, of racism in America. And I think that what Madonna was trying to say with that is to use the burning crosses as an example of the racial profiling that I think sh she f felt like this black man was being subjected to. It, both people that are against the video and people that are for the video, it's something that seems to go over their heads a lot, a lot of the time. And how bloody relevant till this day, right? Or especially in this era, right? Uh, I feel that, well, the, the most beautiful part of the video to me is when she's praying to the saint and he comes alive and she's envisioning this poor guy that was wrongly accused as a mm. saint and he embraces her and he caresses her and they end up kissing and she's almost like entranced by the fact that she knows he's a good man and she's... Mm she's making sense of it that way that I'm finding peace and solace and this, you know, she's, she's in a fantasy and that's what her prayer is. You really have to be Catholic, I think, or to have some kind of like to have had some kind of strong Christian upbringing to really notice all the kind of Catholic references. What the video does really well for me, um, aside from all the things that you've, that you've all said is that it has that kind of weird kind of Catholic fever dream kind of feel to it, where it it's all of the the imagery that you're that you're always faced with in churches and you know of, of the crucifixion and of, mm. of various different saints and, and all of that. And I think it's I think Catholicism is a really strange beast, um, and unless you've sort of grown up in it, you don't really click into the video as well i don't think i just love the fact that there's a theme throughout madonna's entire career of uh facing racial inequality and, and racial injustice mm. uh, and then in her own family with her adoptions and i think probably the most sacred thing as far as i'm concerned that madonna's ever done besides contributing to global discussion and pop culture is you know adopting those children and and giving them a life that you know she thought that they deserved I mean, her whole life has been facing racial injustice, and this is a prime example of it right here. Mm, and personally for me, what I take from the video as well is um, 
sort of a rejection of dogma in favor of the spiritual aspect of Christianity rather than, mm. you know, the, the church, like the, the stained windows, all that sort of stuff. She does all of the dogmatic symbols, but then she also, at the end, it's just like they're all dancing together. All that, they all love each other. They're all... Yes, um, music becomes embracing. central in, yes. in, by the end. I love the fact that she did do that. At the end, it just becomes a celebration of music yes. almost. It just yeah. becomes, yeah, yeah, a celebration of, of love and life and that mm. sort of thing, which I think she's always preaching the universal sort of love. I think she, I think she actually thinks that's more um, genuine Christianity than the, the dogmatic rituals and the, the sort of things that you have to do and in, in yeah music and is I more religious than religion i've got to say yes. isn't it interesting we've yes. spent the entire first part of this uh, podcast discussing all the themes around the music but not the music which goes to <laughs> the heart of all of this whole era of like a prayer which is all the noise and uh, the symbolism and the controversy around this was as big as the music itself um and made her uh, a legend took it from mm. a popular popular artist a mega popular artist to absolute icon and, and legendary yeah. track two on the album is express yourself which i absolutely love and i love the album version of this it was interesting for me because i i was like i don't know who it was i think it was david who said he got this on cd my sister got this on cd it was the first time i'd ever seen a cd and holding it up to the light and all the rainbow colors because i'm very autistic was very <laughs> fascinating to me. But I remember putting this on and listening to um, Express Yourself and it became part of my DNA. But there was a different version on Immaculate Collection, which sort of semi-bothered me, and I don't think it's as good, frankly. Mm. Also, the most expensive video ever made at the time, at least. Oh, wow. There you go. I actually got the Immaculate Collection first before I got the Like a Prayer album, uh-huh. and I had already seen the video. And so I was kind of thrown when I heard the album version. I still like it, but to me, I feel like I really, really would. I I feel like the album would have been so much better had they included the single versions for both Keep It Together and Express Yourself instead of the album versions. Because I think what Shep Pettibone did to those songs made them so much better. Um, I know it's... Yeah, I know, but I just happen to prefer that. But I like it, though, because it, it has more of a funk f- feel to it. So it, it kind of gives it a totally different vibe, whereas the single version is more of a dance, more focused on the dance aspect of the song. Um, Something a bit more raw about the uh, album versions to me, just a little bit unpolished. So I take your point that they became more polished. Mm-hmm. But I think that's why I like the album. I think it's what you said, Rocco. It's whatever you hear first and whatever you become, whatever you fall in love with first, right? It's as simple as that. Yeah. And I have to say this video, I absolutely love the video. I feel like this video was part of my sexual awakening when I was younger, oh. when I first saw it. I, I have to tell you, <laughs> I, I, saw, <laughs> I saw the video and you know, seeing all those shirtless, sweaty guys in the in that like industrial kind of you know world, and she's like the ruler, like in control of all of them. I was like, God, I that is such a great fantasy. Like, I I kind of wanted to be her in that video. I thought I would love to just have my own world of men who. I could just be in control of and tell tell them what to do and what like it was it was so cool. Wow, I've learned so much about Rocco. David, are you gonna sign up to Rocco's fantasy there? <laughs> uh, this, no, this song didn't do it for me in that aspect. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, David Fincher uh, directed uh, this incredible video. It's a great video. Um, the cinematography is beautiful. The song is great. It's, I mean, hello, it's the, it's the anthem for every woman out there. I'm sure a lot of people, women and men, you know, you know, it resonates in a very direct way, like never go for second best, but yeah, the video, yeah, the video is fantastic. And Madonna, you know, she was platinum again filming for Dick Tracy. So we got, we got blonde Madonna back, which was really cool. And uh, we got lingerie Madonna back and we got the, the, the very beginning of, well, no, I guess the very beginning was Open Your Heart, but back to kind of the pointy bra thing, you know. 
Oh, but yes. She, but she does so well. Brilliant concept, wasn't it? A brilliant yeah. concept for this album. Uh, Simon, what does it, what's it mean when she had the collar around her neck and, and she's uh, drinking the milk and the cat's there? You know, I don't want to try and guess. Can you fill me in what was going on there? Well, it, isn't it all references to Metropolis? Yes. Because it's heavily based on Metropolis, and I'm pretty sure it's been a long time since I've watched Metropolis, but I'm pretty sure that that's a reference to Metropolis as well, isn't it? Yeah, that and the quote at the very end of the video is a quote from the movie. Yeah. Favourite part of the video um, for everyone, mine was, I love the slinky silhouette that she has in it. It's only a fleeting moment, but I just love the the silhouette there and she does this little slinky thing with her body. It, it's oh, quite yeah. amazing. Like, yeah. I, I love that. And I love the cinematography of it as well. It's amazing. I like the scene where the guy's laying down watching her dance and then he kind of gets up and there's, for some reason, there's this close-up shot of her eyes just opening up and, and like, there's his silhouette kind of in, in the foreground, I guess. That... Uh, it seems so random for some reason to me, but I, I, I love that shot. I think that's so like well composed and beautifully crafted, and I, I think it's really great. We have to give uh, credit to her in terms of how she did this song on all her tours, uh, from opening Blonde Ambition to the disco version on Girly Show to the really cool military thing and reinvention, and then my favorite you know, stabbing Gaga and saying, hello, you stole from me and, <laughs> and putting, putting the little snippet in her, in her cheerleading and, you know, baton twirling thing. Great, great versions of Express Yourself on all her tours. Really, really good. It was so strange when that Born This Way came out because I was listening to it and going, I really like this, but my God, it reminds me of something. And yeah. then the penny dropped for me and I was like, hang on a second, mm. which I'm sure Madonna must have been exactly the same. What did mm. she say? Quite reductive. Yeah. Reductive. <laughs> She's so awesome. <laughs> so the man is David Fincher. He is a Hollywood director. He directed this video clip. He also has directed other things that you might know, Fight Club, Gone Girl, The Social Network, um, and I believe Seven as well. Um, and the fact that I've got in front of me here, it was a $5 million budget, which probably is not too much by these standards, but it was huge at the time. Yeah. Hmm. Track three is really interesting to me because it's uh, divisive. Uh, a lot of people hate it. A lot of people think it's odd. A lot of people want to dispense with it. A lot of people say they don't mind it, but why would it be on this album? Because it doesn't fit. But the song is Love Song, and it's Madonna and Prince, like heaven on a stick for people like me. You get Prince and Madonna in the same studio together, in theory, and they make this song. I love it. But I'm going to open it, open up the floor. Go and give it a good kick in the groin if you need to. Like it's it's wonderful. Um, I didn't like it when I was a child because I didn't get it. But yeah, as soon as as soon as I got a bit older, and I kind of understood Prince's music a bit more, and um, I think I think it's beautiful. Um, I'm frustrated that they recorded more songs, and this is the only one that she liked. I yeah. didn't know they'd recorded more music together. Yeah, they, they did a bunch of tracks, um, and this was the only one that she, or, or maybe Prince did what he normally did and just sent her, like, a bunch of songs, and that was the only one that she liked. But she said in an interview that that was the only one she was interested in out of the stuff they worked on. Um, and she she went to Minneapolis to record it with him, but she hated Minneapolis, so she left and went back to L.A., and they just basically, like, posted stuff to each other. Um, and he also, he, he uh, recorded guitar on three tracks so he did like prayer he did these on this and he's on keep it together as well yeah i like it too i think that it works very well in the sequencing because you have like a prayer and express yourself for the first two songs and those are very strong openings and then you get to love song which is a more of a mid-tempo kind of a song and it's very like stripped down in terms of production so i think it works um as far as like the experience of the album um, and I do think their voices sound really, really good together. I really like when they sing like together and they harmonize with each other. I think that they sound really, really great together. And I think that there was a chemistry there, probably because they had known each other already. You know, Madonna 
um, was talking to uh, Molly Meldrum back during this period, and she said that they Prince was trying to like see about maybe working on a play or doing like all different kinds of things. She said that she felt like he was trying to do everything except writing a song. Like he was almost avoiding writing a song with her because he had done that with so many other artists already. Um, but she, you know, finally, I guess, convinced him to work on a record. And it is really great because they were, you know, that at that time they were two of the biggest pop culture icons in, in music at that time. So for them to come together was huge. I mean, it's a shame her and Michael Jackson never did anything together, you know, but they were like the trio in the eighties. So it was, it was a cool moment. He recorded all his parts at Paisley Park Studios for the Like a Prayer album. I, I love the ad libs in this song too. It feels like very much how Prince works as well. Cause he's very much freestyle apparently in, in the creek creativity process yeah and you can hear that coming through they left the raw edges in this track it just it's very avant-garde it goes off in funny directions yet mm. like Rocco says they come together and harmonize beautifully at certain parts of course there's also the lyrics and this took me a while to work out when I was listening to hung up for the first few times I'm like those because the music's so different but those lyrics actually come from this song, did you know that, Megs? No, yeah. I have no idea. What are they? Um, someone else can remind me of the, the actual lyrics, but there's lyrics in Hung Up that come yeah. from here, which actually yeah. come from somewhere else. Time goes by. So no one on this line hates this track. I, it's I not my go-to like... song, but I don't hate it. Yeah, I get why people would say it doesn't fit. It's it's not it's not you know spiritual like the other ones. I mean, I guess it, it's good music and all good music is spiritual, but it's not as introspective. Are you the track? No, all the other ones ooze introspection and like emotional sophistication, and this one doesn't. Yeah, but how cool is that lyric? This is not a love song. Yeah, no, it's cool. I love it. I love it. I just I get that criticism. I really do. And that's uh, another lyric she brought back for uh, "Bye Bye Baby." This is not a love song. Oh, yes. Sorry, of course. Yeah. Love that part of Bye Bye Bye. I just love that track in general too. It's awesome. We move to Till Death Do Us Part. David, what are you thinking of this one, track four? Oh, uh, uh, wow. <clears throat> this song is really uh, lyrically brilliant. Uh, if you want to say it's the Sean Penn song, you can. Um, I love the production. I love the artificial drum beat. <laughs> I, everything about her vocal delivery and the spoken word. I think I've said on your podcast many times, Tim, that I'm a huge spoken word Madonna uh, song yes. fan. So, and right. <laughs> the outro is the best. I mean, I it's incredible. I, I love it. Does this have the same intro or a similar intro, I should say, to Dear Jesse? Or am I do I imagine that? No. Very different. No? Dear Jesse is more instrumental, violins, uh, this is all computer synth. They are melodically similar, but they're not identical. No, not identical, but isn't that Is that the one? Oh, that's what's part, right. Yeah, well, that reminds me of Dear Jesse for some reason. Maybe somebody wants to leave well, a comment and tell me if I'm mad, but they seem similar and always have for all the years. <laughs> I thought maybe deliberately so. Well, for me, like this song depicts like a drunk, tantrum-throwing, possessive, self-hating husband. Oh, so it's the story of your life. No. What I'm saying is I'm very sad if that's if she's talking about Sean Penn and the marriage. She just got divorced around this time. Yeah. Um, so it's not it's not a stretch to say that she was discussing the issues in her own relationship. What are some of the lyrics in here? It's like um, I've got some here. Um, he takes a drink, she goes inside, he starts to scream, the vases fly, the, the vases fly. Oh. You can always tell privileged people because they own vases and can afford to throw them around and break them. Yes. And they always just, why is it that the vase never actually hits the person? They always fly right past the head, smash against the wall, and the person turns in shock, horror. Well, that happened in real life with Joan Crawford and that, and that lady. I love Joan Mama Crawford. Sita. I do. I love Mamacita. I really do. <laughs> this semi-unrelated but related in a way. 
she was also doing the Broadway play Speed the Plow while she was making this album. And she did an interview where she was talking about how she was so unhappy and miserable doing that play that a lot of the sadness and the darkness that went into these songs came from the kind of like misery and, and, and unhappiness she had she felt while she was doing that play. Was she unhappy because the director actually insisted that she acted? <laughs> well, I don't know. I think she can act. I do think she's a good actress. She's had a lot of really good moments as an actor. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? I don't care. I, I think that she's had some good movies. Most of them are not good, but I do think there have been some good ones. She's also the record holder for most Razzies, six. <laughs> yeah, well, but anyway, I think that was certainly a part of it. Like, I think that there was a lot of unhappiness that she was feeling at this time that went into not only this song, but also, um, you know, Oh Father and Promise to Try. I think that she was at a point in her life where she was really evaluating a lot of things. Um, the relationships that she had, um, this was also around the time that she passed uh, her mother's, th- the age that her mother yeah. had died, um, which she always said was a big fear of hers, that when she got to be, um, I think it was 31, uh, that she would die the same age as her mother did. But when she passed that age and she was still alive, she said it was like a relief for her. So I think it was just a very significant time in, in her life for a lot of different reasons. The album is dedicated to her mother, yeah. who taught me to pray, um, and promised to pray is the most overt example of of a song about um, you know death and and her mother. Um, Madonna has always operated on uh, you know a fear of her own mortality. She always always has. Mm. You can hear it quite often in this well, piece of work too. It's not hard to understand why, given that her mother passed when she was so young, and it makes a lot of sense. Like th- this album does give you great insight into her mind at this time. Oh yeah, how she was like Rucker said at the same age when her mother died, and so now that she hasn't died, she almost has to think well, where do I go from here where she could have but didn't sort of thing? Like maybe I have to make her story now from here. Um, And she's constantly referring to herself as a little girl in this one. Mm. I I like to think of it as she's not a little girl. She's communicating with the little girl she once was sort Mm. of thing. Um, Mm. But, yeah, this song's very emotional, Promise to Try. And, um, yeah, and and the video clip with her going to the cemetery and all of that sort of stuff. There's an interesting story around that. I, I will never take away that this song is extremely emotional, and I can I can feel what went into this song for her. Mm. But um, Chris, the the brother, tells the story of. I mean, look, lots of people found that scene in Truth or Dare or in Bed with Madonna, as it was known over here in Australia. Yeah. Oh, it was quite over vulgar. Here as well. huh. A lot of people felt that that was a point where she was exploiting her family's grief and loss for the benefit of that documentary. But, look, there's no doubt that the sincere, genuine, heartfelt pain in the Mm. loss of... I mean, look, it's just... It punctuates all of her work, doesn't it? Um, But, yeah, look, this is a great track. I I love it. Madonna sometimes gets ballads a little bit uh, wrong, in my opinion. I think sometimes the lyrics are a little bit immature or something or simplistic or cliched, but in this, like, it's, yeah. a, it's a beautiful track. It's a beautiful track. It's, it's just a beautiful song, isn't it? Um, you know, I think that with uh, people saying that she's, you know, capitalising on the grief of her family, it's like it's her grief as well. The ritual around death is is fascinating if you want to study that around the world. I mean, this was her equivalent of throwing herself on the coffin and, and grieving mm-hmm. out. Woodley and nobody criticizes that because that's an expression of grief. The criticism from uh, Chris was that he was dragged into this and that there was mm. quite a Barney about he wasn't going to get in the car and go and he wasn't made fully aware of her plans with the documentary crew until he got there. He points out that in the documentary there's a scene of him standing quite far in the distance and that it paints him as having his own solitary moment but in fact he was fuming and refused to be part of it and he was quite very yeah. triggered by the fact that the documentary crew still zoomed in on him when he was clearly stating that he didn't want to be part of this. Mm. But I think everybody that was around her at that point knew what she was doing. And I, I don't know, I, he, he irritates me. I think possibly because mm. 
because a lot of the things that he says are probably true and I don't want them to be, but, um, yeah. but yeah. he does, he does irritate me because he throws her under the bus so much. But I mean, I don't know. I think that, you know, this, this song is beautiful. The message is beautiful. The, the arrangement is beautiful. Her voice sounds incredible on it. It's, mm. it's just perfect to me. I, I, I think it's wonderful. Cherish. This is where we enter. Uh, uh, Rocco will know for sure who shot this, um, but it's just the most beautiful example, especially at the time, because it's been replicated a lot since then, this style. But this was just so stunning, beautiful. In fact, it's very almost like the the foundation for some of the erotica um, era in some ways, the, the type of um, grain that they've used on this, the type of stylistic approach that they've had. Beautiful video. And... The hair, not that I am a fashion man, as you know, Megs, or a hair, but like this is like a, another brave haircut, and she just looks beautiful, and it's a, a fun little ditty as well. This was Herb Ritz Very. who did this video. This was his directorial debut, and he never directed wow. videos before this, and he had only ever directed, he had only ever done photos. He was only a photographer up to this point, and... I don't know what it was Madonna saw in him, but they had become friends and he was sort of like her resident photographer at that point. And he, she asked him, she said, please direct this video. And he was very resistant at first, but she talked him into it. And then he became one of the most He became like the go-to video director for so many artists, you know, throughout the nineties and well into the early two thousands. And, um, you know, Madonna gave a, a very beautiful uh, eulogy for him at his uh, funeral, which is available to see on uh, YouTube. But um, actually, Tony Ward is in the video as well. He's one of the mermen, and he and Madonna ended up dating later on. He was in the Justify My Love video, so I thought that was an interesting tidbit. Um, but I, I think it's a great... Uh, again, with the sequencing of the album, it's so great to come out of Promise to Try into this song. It's such a welcome, like refreshing change of pace because it is such a happy song. And Madonna has said that she doesn't like this song particularly, but I think that it is necessary for this album, especially at this point, to kind of have some lightness, some happiness so that it's not all sad and dark. You know. Do you think of dolphins, David, yeah. when you think of Cherish? Oh, mermaids, sorry. <laughs> what am I thinking about? No, I think of a, a, fat, a fat Madonna. <laughs> she gained 10 or 15 pounds for, because she had gained the weight for Dick Tracy. So we saw more of a lot. fat Madonna? She's a little chubby in this video. Yeah, she gained 10 or 15 pounds. Man. I would say muscular. Look at her thighs in that video. They're a little chunky. Um, Let's well, not she, body shame. I'm not body shaming her. I'm just speaking I'm speaking <laughs> what I see on TV, and the TV adds, adds, adds 10 pounds. So she had said she gained 10 to 15 pounds because of Dick Tracy. It, she was much more voluptuous. The water clung to her body beautifully. The Malibu Beach, 50-degree water. That's why you saw her lips, like, smacking in slow motion. She was freezing, but it's a beautiful video, and her Brits did it justice. Yeah. I want to hate this song, and I don't. I love it. But I mainly love it, I think, because of Blonde Ambition. Um, yeah. And, yeah. like, the performance of Blonde Ambition is so great. Um, a little harp. I love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it's so cool. Um, was she really playing it, Simon? I think she is, isn't she? About as convincing as when Katy Perry plays that piccolo in one of her concerts. Remember she got caught out? There's a YouTube yeah. clip of her getting caught out with that. Yeah, how embarrassing is that? Quite um, embarrassing. Tim, do you know, on, on a slight side note, but not really, uh, was this video the inspiration for Where Is The Feeling? Are you trying to say Kylie once again stole inspiration from Madonna? No, in I'm all seriousness, I actually... I, I, I see why the comparisons are made, but I mean, really. I mean, they're almost. If it was, she's got very similar hair. She's got very similar clothes on, and she's in the water, and it's black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Where is the feeling was shot in LA? Look, it's actually a good point. My favorite thing about Cherish is the fact that the B side single was Supernatural, which I Uh absolutely love. Can I say this is Mum's? 
favorite song oh dear. of Madonna's. Well, you've just lost us now. She loves this song. And um, and I like it. I think it's just a lovely, straightforward love song. Actually, I do remember your mum. We were driving, going on one of those long trips last Christmas, I think it was, and this came on. And your mum got all, you know, uppity like she does and goes, yeah. see, why doesn't she just make music yes. like this anymore? Mum doesn't like any experimentation. She, she just wants Madonna to do the same sorts of songs over and over and she loves, mum just loves the very straightforward, simplistic Simple. ballad yeah. type thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong, but she gets so angry when I play a Madonna song from like um, Hard Candy or something like Imagine that. Imagine playing like, a Madame oh, X. See, no, this is not good. I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, why does she do this? She said the same thing about me just before she walked out the door, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very oh, cool. dear. I want to talk about the album cover too, if that's all right, because on I believe this is confusing to me. On, on some of the album covers, first of all, for someone like Madonna not to have a face in it is interesting mm-hmm. as a choice. But there's also MLVC on some of the album covers, I think, and someone here will know better than me, which stands, they're her initials, Madonna, Louise, Veronica, Jaconi. Yeah, on the, yeah, the single version. Yeah. Single version of like a prayer had the MLVC with her brother's artwork. He drew the Virgin Mary and put her initials. And the Veronica is obviously her Catholic, you know, a, a, um, what is that? Um, yeah, yes, confirmation. confirmation. Yeah. And then there's the P that at the very bottom, there's the fallen P, which is supposed to stand for pen. And it's it's fallen down because it's representing her divorce from Sean. So, oh, wow. yeah. Can I just say, pick up on something, lots of interesting facts coming at me from left, right and centre here. <laughs> David, did you say that Chris drew the single artwork for Like a Prayer? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Let's say everything. I'm looking at it now. Only a gay man would draw, you know, a round circle with a dot in the middle of it for boobs. <laughs> Seriously, that's <laughs> terrible. I was always wondering where that came well, from. <laughs> maybe, maybe he was channeling his inner Picasso there. I don't know. They're either breasts or a peeping Tom. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you make of the, of the cover art, Megs? I mean, the, the jeans. This is very, by the way, um, late 80s style, the denim and all of that sort of stuff. Mm. So a lot of girls were walking around with the, what do they call it, the midriff and yeah, all that sort of the belly button right. showing. You know, Britney Spears took it up a notch a few years later when mm. she came along. But, yeah, what, the, the album cover, I think it's genius, personally. The, the cover for me makes me think of the love song song with Prince. It, it's sort of a bit rocky to me, like with the jeans and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, yeah, it I, is a bit rock rather than pop, right? It is a bit rock. I don't mm. actually know how much it speaks to me in terms of what she was trying to do with the album. Like, it's a very spiritual, introspective um, awakening type album mm. and then it's she's got I like the cover don't get me wrong but it's not I wouldn't call it overtly spiritual which is what I would have done for me it's just so iconic maybe that's why I'm yeah. obsessed with it because it represents that era for me it represents the album I thought it was really clever apparently there's a full shot of this somewhere I haven't looked it up but you can see you know her standing there and not just mm. the cropped you know part that's in the actual cover Right. Yeah, I think it's very 60s. I think that's one of the reasons you f- you guys feel like it's more rock rather than pop. To me, it, it evokes a very much like a 60s hippie kind of vibe with the beads and the, you know, that whole thing. I think that's that may have been what she was going for. Yeah, I don't know. That was what she was going for. I want people to leave comments on this one. What do you think of the cover? Yay or nay? Track 7, Dear Jesse. Rocco's told the story in another podcast about um, how the inspiration for this song came about. I also remember at the time Madonna was obviously massive, but I remember some media outlets in Australia taking great delight that Dear Jesse was A, released as a single because it's a peculiar choice, and B, that it was the first Madonna track possibly of all time that didn't reach the top whatever in Australia, let's say top 40 or 50 or something like that. So um, commercially, apparently, this single was not particularly successful when you stack it up against the other bangers of this album. I love Dear Jesse, though. I love the, the words in it, and mm. I, I just love that it's eccentric, which a lot of this album is, actually. I, I love this song. It, it captures the beauty of a child's imagination, I yeah, think. It's yeah. like pink elephants, dancing moons, and it's just a really gorgeous song. 
about like a blissful childhood. There's no problems. You're just very in this Disney, little fantasy it? land. Yeah, very Disney. And I really relate to it because I was very, very imaginative. And so this was my mind as well. Mm. And all, all just the beautiful things in life, like sound of music type mm. thing. And yeah, this, this and the, the music itself is so harmonic and like just everything's perfect. Flowers and meadows. It's like, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. What song. about the juxtaposition of this song, everyone else, uh, in terms of you know the the overt controversy and sexuality and religion and politics mm. on this album, and then to have something like this in there, which yeah. you could argue is either genius or misplaced, depending on your perspective. I think this song, you know, like I said before, it, it was inspired by Pat Leonard's daughter, who Madonna was very close with, and I think that she really wanted to be a mother. And I think that was where the song came from. It came from the kind of like maternal, I guess, maternal um, feelings she may have felt towards um, Jesse and, you know, saying, you know, this is where I want my future to be. This is what I want someday. I want, you know, children and I want to be a mother. And I think it's one of the, it's a welcome addition to the album because it's one of the few times in her whole catalog that we see a genuinely softer side of her. A lot of this album is about the grief and loss um, and then the empowerment of her as a woman. There's a, there's a great um, feminism about this album. Oh, yeah. But this might explain the idyllic childhood that she wishes she had. That's what I thought. It's only mm. one theory. It's just something that I thought, especially the video clip, then sort of seems to cement that idea to me because it's, you know, it's fantasy. It's the ultimate childhood imagination isn't it maybe the uh, childhood she um, wanted to have and now she can give to yeah and like Rocco's saying the one she wants to give at that point yeah Yeah, absolutely I think think that's really even maybe she didn't know that's what she was doing but maybe that was what she was doing quite possibly Mm. Simon and David I just hope she performs this live one day I, I would love I mean talk about being creative I mean she could put some incredible imagery on the screen she could have like dancing elephants and and you know I mean she could serve lemonade on the stage I mean it's just it's it's a very char- it's a very charming song and 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 this song was actually released Tim um, just for radio airplay right after like a prayer in the states and was all over it did incredible at radio but it did not get released as a single um this is a very beatles inspired song which i didn't get at oh, all. lucy in the sky with diamonds and yellow yeah, story now that you said yeah now we're going real beatles yellow submarine type era it did get an official release this but i'm interested if you're listening for you to leave a comment in your territory wherever you are listening how did this track um, perform and how was it received? Because here in front of me it says it received mixed reviews from critics um, upon its release. The track was a moderate success commercially, reaching the top 10 in the United Kingdom and Ireland and the top 20 in Germany, Spain and Switzerland. Good on you, Madonna. Well done. Oh, Father, this is the song that you often sing about me, isn't it? No. I hear. Well, sorry, it's when you're asleep that you sing. You yearn this song when you're asleep. Oh, right. And then I come and hold your nose until it stops. Yeah, I've got some problems, man. <laughs> yes. I don't know where they came from. <laughs> well, you know, I say about this song, I think this is like really psychologically sophisticated. I think it's like, yeah. I think she straightens out her past and, and her future with this song, with the lyrics. I really do. I think it's like... This is her therapy, this song, um, because she. Fig- I think she comes to the conclusion that he made her feel guilty about her mother's death maybe a little bit because he was hurt himself. Oh, goodness. Yeah. No, I really think that the, the song is about her uh, reconciling the the trauma and the, the tragedy that she encountered with how her, her father was treating her at the time. And I think her conclusion is that he was hurt too, and so I need to forgive him and it's a very healing song. It's actually not It's not um, completely sad. It's a very healing song. And obviously very, very intimate song for the family to deal with. She was asked at the time if her father had seen it. She says, to tell you the truth, I don't know if he has seen it. I'm sort of afraid to ask. There was a, a big thing at the time that it was about abuse she'd suffered from her dad and that he was possibly physically abusive to her when her mum died. Um, obviously she's never really spoken about it. I think she said everything she needed to say in the song, 
it's, such, it's just such a brilliantly crafted song and the Blonde Ambition performance just is everything. And I can't, yeah. like, I watch it usually about once a month. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. And um, the video is uh, has a heavy kind of um, visual style of, like, Citizen Kane and all that kind of stuff. And it's, yeah, it's just, it, again, so another brilliant uh, cinematic reference that she's, that she's brought in. And also, a br- um, it was covered brilliantly by Thea. Yeah, on uh, on Sears We Are Born album, which was the one that she recorded before she stopped showing her face, before she had a breakdown. It's incredible. I saw her do it when she came over. Um, she played the Roundhouse in London, and she did it in that tour. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is incredible. This was the second, the second of the trifecta of David Fincher videos. Yeah, let me just add that this video, to me, is one of her best videos. I, I love the song. I, I think that it's a very necessary thing to express because I think a lot of people can relate to it. But I think that it's not really a single in my eyes, but I love the video. I think it's one of her best. And I think that it's a real shame, um, one might say sin, that it was left out of the Celebration DVD collection. But I'm glad she included it on the Immaculate Collection DVD, you know, because it, it really deserves the attention i think it's it's definitely next to bad girl i which is also not on celebration i think it's her most cinematic and it tells a story and it's so personal to her it, it may be one of the most personal artistic statements she's ever made keep it together yeah i this is inspired by sly and the family stone which she references on the tour she starts it by singing a uh, family affair And um, I love that she sort of tips her hat to them. And this song to me, I think that's also why it has that optimistic outlook because the songs that that Sly and the Family Stone has done have that similar lyrical outlook, um, that optimistic kind of hopefulness to them. And so I think that's what she was going for. But my favorite part of this song is the bridge. Um, and I love the harmonies. I love the melody and I love the lyrics. I love the way that she conveys that. She says, when I look back on all the misery and all the heartache that they've brought to me, I wouldn't change it for another chance because blood is thicker than any circumstance. Yeah. Uh, With that said, you know what I would love? I would love for her whole entire family to write a song about Madonna and what they think about her and growing up and... I, I want to know the real truth, you know, like not so much the Christopher Ciccone when I could care less about, but the, m- Melanie and, you know, all the other, the siblings and father and Joan and just like write their own little, little tidbit and had it. I don't know. Simon, do you like David's idea? And what would that song be called? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I don't think. Um, I think it'd be interesting. Like, I mean, I don't like the idea, no, but I think, I think it'd be, (laughs) I think it'd be interesting to have like a, uh, like reboot where it's this song, but they all do like a verse on it. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. We've got to move on. Spanish eyes. I think that this song was written about, um, someone who was a teenager who was shot, um, in a gang, I, I, I'm I'm speaking in such a uh, what's the word um, vague way because I don't quite know the full story, but I believe that it was inspired by an actual um, murder that took place. Although other people have said that it that it may also be about the AIDS okay. epidemic and all yeah. the friends that she was losing at that time. Lyrically, it's great, but the thing that I love most about it is her voice. Um, especially on the chorus, the way that she, it kind of sounds like she's straining a little bit, but it really gives you that raw emotion. And I don't know if vocally she ever quite sounded like that again after this album. I think that, you know, by the time she got to Ray of Light, her voice started to sound very different, maybe as a result of of doing um, Evita. But on this album, on that song particularly, that kind of vocal that she delivered was just so brilliant. 
Yeah, vocally, this is very brave. Yeah, I feel like the, I read that on this album, she didn't do any takes of her singing. Like they sort of just she sung the song and then that was it. That that was the record. Um, so I think that's why it's it's sort of like that. But yeah, it's really cool. Like it's really raw. Um, and and yeah, it, her vocals are amazing. Yeah, this is my favorite song on the album. Yay! I, I remember when I first heard the album, I'd gone on a holiday with my parents and I think I must have borrowed it from the library or something and like I borrowed the CD and then like recorded it onto a tape. Um, and I remember lying the first time I ever heard this song lying in my bedroom in a caravan that we were in, uh, listening to it on my headphones, um, Mm. and just being completely like awestruck by this song and how like stunning it was and how, uh, kind of, theatrical it seemed at the time and yeah um now now every time i listen to it i get transported back to a tiny little bedroom in a caravan when i was on holiday oh i love that yeah i love it when music does that hey by the way is this track called pray for spanish eyes or just spanish eyes it's been it's been both just depends i know on my cd it says spanish eyes on the back inlay but then inside the booklet it says pray for spanish eyes so, hmm. yeah. That's confusing. Well, I think this song, I love this song too. I, it's a beautiful ballad. I, it's very, I don't think, I think it's very reminiscent to Masterpiece. I think they sound oh. so much alike. And I think they, they have so much of the same sentiment. It actually translates to, your tears of sadness will not let me forget you, which might feed into that whole idea that this is about the loss of someone via some sort of tragedy. Yeah. Okay, and then the final track on the album, Megs, you were perplexed. I liked watching you as you listened to the act of contrition. Well, I've made sense of it. I don't understand it musically. I think it's ridiculous and it, it sort of spirals downwards and she doesn't know what she's doing. Um, yeah. But I think it's, it's fascinating, this act of contrition thing, because she's fascinated with the idea of sin, the preoccupation with sin among Christian denominations. And this act of contrition prayer is about expressing sorrow for sin. And then she resurrects it with Girl Gone Wild, obviously, in the MDNA tour. So she she really has a fascination with the whole idea that, like, that sin always follows us around. There's nothing we can do about it. And so, um, yeah, I think that's why she made, made a song about it. But I just don't understand what she was doing. It's like, I have a reservation, I have a reservation, and it just sort of, it just deteriorates. I don't understand. And what do you mean it's not on the computer? I think it's her talking to God. I think that's what it is. And it's, I think, very tongue-in-cheek and a moment of humor on the album. But I always found it interesting. Ever since MDNA came out, I thought it was interesting how Like a Prayer ended with the act of contrition and MDNA begins with the act of mm. contrition. And... It says produced by the powers that be. I believe, if I'm correct, the powers that be is referring to Prince. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But it is basically just like a prayer backwards with her singing the act of contrition over the top of it. Like, it, there's a, not really anything else to it. it. Finishes with this ridiculous track. I know. Well, why couldn't it be a little bit more sophisticated? There was lots of stuff in the sort of 60s and 70s and even through to the 80s of people saying that if you played certain records backwards, that there were satanic messages in them. And, you know, so what she's done is she's taken her own song, played it backwards. And then I just, the the whole, I have a reservation, what do you mean it's not on the computer, I think is the funniest thing because so many people would just go straight over their heads. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Let's look at the legacy of Like a Prayer. A few critics have said Mark Savage, for example, from the BBC noted that the album's release, quote, marks the moment when critics first began to describe Madonna as an artist rather than a mere pop singer. I would agree with that. And then Glenn Levy from Time stated, Madonna has always been a keen student of pop culture history and her creative powers were probably at their peak in the late 1980s on the album Like a Prayer. This is like, uh, all right, I'm going to put it right out there. Let's, let's end controversially because the album's controversial. Is it her best album? Is it her best work? No. Erotica's her best album, clearly. 
Erotic is the best pop album ever written, so of course it's her best album. <laughs> it, it was definitely a, a growth at that time, and it was de- and it definitely was the moment that made people take her seriously as an artist. Um, I, th- I, you know, I said before that at the start of the podcast that this made people see her as, as a person who was political, who had something to say, who was more controversial. But I think that it also made people realize, from a musical perspective, people still saw her before this album came out as someone who just did pop music. Even though she may have written, she wasn't seen as someone whose music could be taken seriously as art. This album changed that, and people knew. In Rolling Stone's review of the album, they ended their review by saying, this album is as close to art as pop music gets. And this was, I think, the album that yes. made Madonna. She was already pop art. She was already a pop star. She was already a super mega star. But this was the album that made people see her as an artist. Yeah, the, she she did t- though take. I have to admit, at the time, instead of just a series of pop tunes on one disc, she's taken it and made a work and a journey and and a, and uh, a story weaving yes. through the whole album. I don't think. Well, she certainly hadn't done it before. Well, this actually is quite deliberately placed and you are it's like i said not easy listening though it's it's difficult listening. yeah is it her best album mix I, I i'm not sure about her best album but what she said about it is that it intertwines her search for faith with her search for her mother which i just think Ooh. captures it perfectly yeah no it's a very i don't i don't know if best is the right word because you're comparing it to like musically and that sort of thing but like just lyrically and in terms of the video clips, it's the deepest album she's done. For me, um, it might not be her best album, but for me, it represents who Madonna is. Give David one last chance, David. Oh, he's actually popped off the line too. I can see he's absolutely gone. All right. Well, David would have said that Madame X is even better than this album. No. <laughs> I, yes, I agree. David is a huge fan of Batuka. He's a huge fan of Madame <laughs> X. He thinks Madame X is the best album. He thinks that Like a Prayer is very highly overrated. <laughs> he thinks that Madonna went too far and that she should have been reined in, but by that stage, nobody could say no to her. That's yeah. what he told me before. So just in case people are worrying, that's what David that's thinks. That's what David thinks. <laughs> yes. He liked talking on behalf of David. It's actually much easier to have David as a guest without him on the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. He also thought that she was ugly. In he scene. did say that. I don't no, know. I thought that was bad. a bit harsh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh well good i can only say good night to simon rocco megs yeah. and david wherever you are maybe he's helping lily with the washing machine <laughs> you reckon helping possibly yeah maybe, <laughs> maybe the flood has happened i don't know yeah. good on you rocco good on you simon good on you megs yes thank you let's all go and say a little prayer thank you so much good night, Tim. <laughs> good, night. good night thank you you see the kids, they listen to the rap music, which gives them the brain damage. With their hippin' and the hoppin' and the bippin' and the boppin', so they don't know what the jazz is all about, you 